Amen. Praise the Lord for that and uh, for His love. That's an amazing thing. And uh, man, it's, it's so good to be here tonight. The scene's been tremendous. The choir did a great job and I love that song and uh, just rejoicing to be in the house of the Lord tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And you see up on our screens tonight um, the theme for the upcoming missions conference and uh, see your calling. And uh, see your calling. And we're going to talk about that this evening as this Sunday kicks off uh, what has always been our missions month. Now, we have missions conference in the middle of the month, but uh, the month typically in the past has always been about uh, missions and just highlighting that. And as we enter into that, I thought I'd give a little uh, preview of the theme for this year's missions conference. And, uh, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. In chapter 1, in verse number 20, the Bible says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And just pause there for a moment and let's acknowledge here that God has a very particular way that the gospel message would be shared. 
There may be the wise, the scribe, and the disputer, as we see here. And they may all have their versions of how the gospel should be delivered. But God says, where are all these people? I, uh, they're out doing their thing, but I've chosen a way for my message to be delivered. And it says here that, uh, that after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Man's wisdom wasn't cutting it. And so it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That God was going to use men to deliver a message to a people who were in need. And those people would have to choose whether they would believe that message or not. We see here as we continue in verse number 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. It is important to note that for... Since the beginning of the Bible, the Jews did seek for a sign. They wanted to see some physical uh, sign, some miracle, something placed right in front of them. And that would be what caused them to believe. And so the Jews were looking for that sign to increase their faith, to bring them to salvation, as it were. And then uh, as the gospel message was opened up then to the Gentiles, the Gentiles had their own stumbling blocks, just like the Jews. And they said, oh, wait, we're wise. We have logic and we have reason and, 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 and this doesn't seem to make sense over here. This must be how he's going to reach us and this must mean what the love of God is and this must mean what grace truly is and, and people began to redefine these Bible words and come up with their own wisdom, their own system and we see that across the world in cults and, and false doctrines and teachings uh, the world over. And this would be just as much a stumbling block uh, for people to come to Christ as it was for the Jews requiring a sign. And so we see here uh, that, uh, verse number 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews it is a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, it is Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see here a, a, a message that God wants to get across to his church. That I, I have a very particular way that I want people to hear about me and how they are going to hear about salvation and, and, and what they need to hear in order to believe on me. I have a very particular system. It may seem foolish to you, but just remember that even my foolishness is better than your wisdom. And my weakness is better than your strength. Don't go about your own way. Trust me. Trust what I have for you. We see here a warning. And we know that the Corinthian church was no model for us to follow in their, their conduct in most cases. And here Paul is trying to correct an issue in the church uh, that they were a little bit distracted on how the message should get out. And the Apostle Paul is reminding them of God's method and God's message and how it should be delivered. And he's going to do that through a single word. And it's found in our next verse. In verse number 26, it says, For ye see your calling. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. He goes on to explain, and, and we'll stop there. He, he stops and he says, hey, hey, I want to just, I want to, st I want to briefly bring to your attention something. There's, there's some distractors, there's some wise men out there, there's some corruption of how the message should be delivered. But I want you to see 
your calling. See your calling. The calling of God today is something that has become almost mystical, as in it's something that happens in the the recesses of our minds, or uh, it's something that only the Holy Spirit knows what he, when He does it and to whom He places that upon. And uh, only certain people will have a calling of God upon their life. But there's something right here in, in black and white that requires no mystical experience, no unseen voice. It doesn't require you to have some emotional outburst or anything. It just requires you to look, to see your calling. This is not something that's up for debate or anyone in this room could sit back and say tonight, well, that calling is not for me because we are going to see our calling tonight right in this passage. And it's a calling for all of us to adhere to. It's not a calling that we have to wait on. It's right here in black and white. And so this year in our missions conference, as we begin to think about worldwide missions and spreading the message and getting the gospel out to a world that is lost and hopeless, I think it'd be a good reminder for us tonight to see our calling. And we're to look through this passage here in 1 Corinthians. Let's open in a word of prayer this evening. Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for our time together and for the opportunity to share the message tonight. Lord, thank you for the privilege it Obviously a great privilege, even as we consider our text tonight and the idea that you have chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. Lord, it is a great honor for me to preach tonight, but it is also a great honor for me every day of the week to be able to share the gospel. And Lord, I thank you for the calling that you have placed in my life and on all of our lives. May we understand what that truly means and through the message tonight be challenged to adhere closer to that call in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 a calling. And uh, we're actually going to note that in this passage there is more than one calling that is acknowledged, although the phrase calling is not used over and over and over again. And the first calling that I want to address with you this evening is found in Matthew chapter 22, as well as the passage we're in tonight. But if you move to Matthew chapter 22 this evening, if you would. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll start in verse number 1. is a very familiar story in, in a lot of ways. At least familiar in the fact that it's a story, and I, I trust that we will consider its truths. Matthew chapter 22, and verse number 1. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? feel like it's a little dead in here. Are we, are we awake? We're awake. I'm glad to see you tonight. And Man, I just got back from this conference. I was out at the conference that the staff normally goes to last week, and uh, I left all the staff and went on my own. And, uh, and so uh, they weren't able to make it for obvious reasons with Pastor's brother and Brother Josh being an invalid. And, uh, and so um, I went out there, and man, I, I'm so fired up. Uh, it's just I got my cup filled to overflowing. And uh, just, it was awesome to be under the preaching, and, and I love it, I love it. And, uh, and I'm excited to be here tonight, and so if I'm a little overzealous, I trust you, uh, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I am so excited to be here and to be opening the Word of God, and I hope that you're as equally as excited. Matthew chapter 22, in verse number 1, we see a parable. It says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, and said... 
The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his sons, his son, <laughs> and sent forth his servant to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. We would see in the next couple verses, verse number five, we see three different kinds of people. We see people that made light of the message that was delivered. They were called by the messenger. The messenger came to them and said, Hey, marriage supper, the lamb's coming. Come on, come with me. The king, he's invited you. He's invited you to the, the, the wedding. Come, come on, it's, it's going to be a great time. Come on. And they, oh, it's, no, no, you know, that's, I understand people make a big deal of that. It's not a big deal for me, though. You have your thing, I have my thing. They made light of it. I'm busy, I have things to do. And we see that often as we go out door knocking, uh, knocking and sharing the gospel. People who make light of the message. Oh, I'm busy right now. I got a meal to eat. I got food on the stove. I, I have kids crying in the background. Well, there's going to be tears that are cried at a later point that will be much more devastating than your child crying in the background. There is a calling. Don't make light of it upon your life. In verse number five, we see some who were too busy with work. They had to go back to the farm. Hey, the family farm needs tending. I, I got to go back to work. And we know something about farmers today. Not many of us are, are farmers, but we know at least all the farmers that I know are nothing but, if not, hard workers. I mean, they are workers to the core. 20 hours a day, they will work and work and work and work and work. And this man here was committed to his work. Say, oh, I, got a, I got a job. I'm already, you know, you, again, you, know, you kind of have your thing you're working towards and I'm working towards something here too, and I've got something I'm doing, and, and, uh, and too busy, too tied up with the accomplishments of what he could grow, how he could expand. In verse number five, we also see an individual who is consumed with materialism. So I got to go back to my merchandise. Uh, you know, you know, I, I, I know, but there's these things over here. I hear what you're saying, but I, I really enjoy this. And, and this messengers trying to get him to come, and i got to go back to my merchandise. And verse number 6, we see the other end of the spectrum. Not people with excuses, we see people that are indignant to it. In verse number 6, we see people who got angry and got up and murdered the messengers. Said, you can't do that. You can't say those things. You're going against what we believe. You're going against the flow. You're, you're, you're causing ripples. You're disturbing the world in which we live. You're, you're causing a mess. You're making a mess of things. You're, you're taking all the peace out of this world, you stinking Christians, with your message. Amen. And they went up and they murdered the messengers. The Lord wasn't too happy about that, and the king, and so he sends forth his armies, the Bible says here, and he kills them all. And then he goes back to his servants, and he says, hey, servants, I got a job for you. And, and that's an important, something important we have to note about this passage, is you may not get the response that God wants. Forget about what you want. You may not get the response that the Lord wants when you deliver the message, but that doesn't mean that God's done with you. And I think a lot of times we don't get the response we want when we deliver the message, and so we give up. But it's not about what response we want. It's about the, the, the one who sent us. We are the messenger. And so he goes back to his messengers and says, Hey, messengers, uh, I want you to go out into the highways and the hedges, and I want you to compel them. In verse number 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together 
All as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Praise the Lord, some people came. That was probably a happy day for the messengers. I want you to imagine for yourself, though, this evening that you're one of these beggars. The story doesn't stop in verse number 10. It continues on, but I want you to listen to this, and I'm going to read it as I wrote it out, and just kind of put this into a little bit of a story format. Imagine you're one of these beggars. Really shouldn't be that much of a mental leap. We were all in need when we heard the message. The call went out into your life, and uh, let, let's see here. The call is extended to you. You don't take the call lightly. You understood to be summoned by the king was a serious and urgent matter. You had no materialistic things to hold you back. You were actually questioning whether or not the king has the right person. After all, you have no possessions or even a gift to bring. As a matter of fact, the invitation came with a wedding garment that was more costly than anything you even owned already. Actually, it's so nice that you pack it away thinking you could use it for some other event at a later occasion. After all, this king must be awfully loving to extend an invitation to a beggar. Surely he must know you don't wear fancy clothes. Work? No, I don't have the excuse of work. To be summoned from the beggar's ditch is a joy, a job easy to leave. And after all, with that station of life, you could probably take some silverware from the king's table and no one would be the wiser. No, it's not hard to leave the work behind. You're so thankful to have a change of scenery for the day. As a matter of fact, you're extremely excited about the feast and you can't stop asking questions of the messenger. When will it start? What time will we get there? How far away is it? What what will they be serving? Questions, questions, questions. As you make your way to the wedding hall, the messengers Uh, The messenger patiently gives you the answers to all your questions, although they're not the answers you want to hear. The messenger also tells you of how the people who were invited previously were so angry about the invitation, they murdered the other messengers. You think to yourself, well, I don't really agree with everything the king does or says, but there's no way I would murder a messenger and turn down a free invitation to the king's table? Never. You continue to make your way to the wedding celebration, and your mind begins to wander. What a strange turn of events. Who could have imagined I would be invited to the king's house today? I'm going to eat eat to my heart's content. In the background of your thoughts, you hear the messenger repeatedly ask about the special wedding garment, but you're too distracted by your thoughts to give him much consideration. What a day, what a day. An invitation to the king's house for a wedding celebration. You arrive. There's so many people there. So many people in the room. Everyone is dressed so nicely. You feel a bit out of place. You know the invitation said to put on the wedding garment, the gown provided by the messenger, but you're comfortable in the old rags. They have served you well over the years. Your sense of discomfort is almost forgotten as the smell of the wedding feast reaches your senses. There is an anxious excitement in the air as the music plays softly in the background. Everyone is enthusiastically awaiting the entrance of the bridegroom. It's almost contagious, almost. You don't really know who the bridegroom is and truly don't understand why strangers would be so excited to celebrate with him. But it's fun, exciting, spirit-filled, and a pleasant place to be. Your mind once again begins to wander. With so many new and exciting things surrounding you, so many opportunities that could make your life better, you are startled back to reality by a calm, loving, and authoritative voice. You gather your senses as you reply, 
I'm sorry, did you, did you call my name? The man looks lovingly into your eyes. No, I didn't call your name, for I do not know it. However, it is you I'm wanting to talk, I, it is you I'm wanting to talk to. He paused for a moment, seeming to gather his emotions. Did you receive my invitation and the wedding garment I sent with the messenger? The stunned guest thinks to himself, the wedding garment, of course, that's what this is about. Hundreds of excuses flood his mind. I'll tell him how I, I, didn't want to be ru- I didn't want it to be ruined or how I didn't want, it to be, I didn't want to be noticed in clothes I'm not comfortable in. And I'll tell him uh, uh, that it was the nicest thing that anyone has ever done for me and I put it aside as not to ruin it. Excuse after excuse came, but the words did not. None of the excuses seemed sufficient. As a matter of fact, now that I'm standing before this man with such a loving, loving gaze, there are no words that could be conjured. He is left speechless, standing as a fool in front of the king. The king awaits. It is obvious he is patient and long-suffering and not wanting to expel anyone from his feast. But what is more obvious than that is that he is left with no option. His very presence give off, gives off an essence of being absolutely just and righteous. The beggar realizes what he knew all along. There is no reasoning that will get me out of this situation. The beggar looked around the room that, that looked around a room that had gone silent. The music and the chatter had ceased. He turned back to the king, as the king said to his servants, what you find in Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In verse number 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. This beggar had been called. And he had even followed the summons as far as to get into the presence of the king. He never followed the instructions though. The calling was to come and to put on the covering. Not his old clothes, not his own way. Come with the garment. But the beggar showed up that day without the garment and the Lord came to him and said, where is your garment? And the man was left speechless before the king. The first calling that we see this evening is the calling of salvation. The calling of salvation. You see, there are many in this world who are like the obstinate that we saw in the beginning of this passage who have their excuses and have their reasons and honestly, it's commendable that they're at least honest. They are not interested in heeding the call. But there are some who come and hear and hear and hear. They even follow the messenger, but they don't follow the instructions. The call is extended, but they never answer the call personally. Yeah, the messenger all along, just as we heard in our maybe allegory, our story here, uh, as we consider the messenger was saying all along, hey, where's your wedding garment? Well, you know where we're going. Where's your wedding garment? Where's your wedding garment? But you're so distracted by the world and the excitement and the things going on that those thoughts are, are shoved out of the corner of your mind, the recesses of your mind, and you continue to go forward for what can advance you. And I know even in my own life that this rings very true to me, uh, being a man who got saved later on in his life. 
And I can picture myself as that beggar walking on that road on my way and hearing in the back of my mind those voices saying, hey, where's your garment? Where's your garment? Where's your garment? And I can't tell you what all the excuses were, but I had the excuses. And eventually I heard a messenger who was persistent saying, hey, you're going to need your garment for where we're going. The call has been extended to you. You're going to need your garment. You're going to need your garment. And thankfully one day in God's mercy and his long suffering, that voice broke through the distraction and I went and said, all right, hey, messenger, hang on a second. I got to go back. I know exactly where that garment is. I know I can put it on. I have the time. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it. And I went back and I put on that robe of righteousness. Amen. Hey, and one day I'm going to stand before that king. And you know what? I'm not going to be speechless. I'm going to have something I'm able to say. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm here to celebrate the sun. I know what I'm here for. Yeah, I know what he's done in my life. Yeah, the man, the beggar in the story didn't know what he was there to celebrate. He didn't get the big deal. What's the the big deal? What's so important about this? Oh, but when you and I get there, who have answered the call of salvation, we will not be speechless. At least I trust you will not be speechless. I mean, I could go around this room this evening, and we ought to rejoice more and share more of our testimony. But can can you recall your calling? In this area? As I go around the room, if I point a finger at you, could you say, hey, here's where I put on his robe of righteousness. It's settled forever. I know that it's done. No question, no doubt. It's, I am covered by the blood of Christ. Man, the calling, the calling of God on your life, the call goes out again tonight. Maybe there's one in this room even this evening. And I might be the messenger and you're the beggar. I'm saying, where's your garment? Can I encourage you tonight? It's always been very accessible to you. Just go back to it and put it on. Put on his righteousness. Get rid of those dirty rags. They're not going to cut it. They're not going to work. Can't get there your own way. Go put on his robe of righteousness. Oh my, the calling. And the Corinthian church had to be reminded about this. Hey, see your calling. See what God has done in your life, church. Remember, hey, uh, there's a message to be delivered, but you got to see your calling. Man, what an exciting thing that is as we consider this calling, a calling that pulls us out of the miry clay and sets our feet upon a rock. As we look in our passage here back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, in verse number 26, I just want to go back as you're turning there, 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. It's up to you to know whether or not you got the garment on. You're not going to be able to point to somebody else and say, Hey, they, didn't, they weren't telling me enough that my garment wasn't on. It's, it's the messenger's fault. No, if you know about the garment, it's your job to put it on. And the Bible says the heavens tell you that there's a garment to be put on. Even nature declares that. But God also has used preaching and he shares the message with you so that you can know that there's a garment to put on. Make sure, make your calling and election sure. See your, the calling in your life. I know there's other meaning in that passage in 2 Peter, but it is a very true fact that we need to know for ourselves that we've experienced salvation in our lives. 
As we continue in our message this evening, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, let's reread this verse here. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, but uh, not many noble are called. Uh, it's important to note that there is an M in front of any in all of those phrases. Because it, it's certainly not true that not any noble or not any mighty, there are some, but just not many, a difficult thing for them because of the wisdom of this world to, to get there, to answer the call. But not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. The second calling we see here tonight is your calling not just to salvation, but to service. Your calling to service. Hey, he says here, hey, not many, not, um, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Hey, it's no surprise to me that God didn't get the greatest trade when he exchanged his son for me. But God chose me that day. He chose me to be his servant. That he could give a challenge to that would deliver a message to other people who need to hear of this invitation. The servants that were in our passage here experienced many things, but that was their service after all. We don't hear any complaining from them. We don't hear whining from them. We don't hear about how difficult it is for them. Uh, they don't come back to the king and say, you've tasked us with something too hard, or how dare you send us out into the dirt to do this job. They just go about what they were told to do because a calling had been extended to them and they were obedient in this service. We all have been extended this call. Go ye therefore, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I mentioned earlier in the message that often we're waiting for some uh, mystical thing, as it were, a calling in our lives. But there is a calling on every single one of our lives to be a witness with the gospel. It is our job, it is my job, it is your job. Don't wait for some amazing message to take place and some missions conference to come down the road or, or some service to stir your heart so that you emotionally can be bolstered up to the point of going and sharing the gospel with somebody. And that's what we're waiting for far too often, to get our emotions in line so that we can be obedient to this call. But we're not supposed to be guided by our emotions. We're not supposed to live by emotion. Oh, I don't think I can do that. Or I'm too nervous. I'm too scared. Or I don't know what to say. I don't know how they'll respond. Or, I can't do that. That's, uh, someone else is going to have to do that. I'll just sit back and pray. Uh, hey, we are all called to pray. And I praise the Lord. There are people who are physically unable to share the gospel. Physically incapable. But they can pray. Amen. And that's a tremendous tool. And they're accomplishing the work that they can do. But all of us have been given the job, the calling of God on our lives, to serve as His messenger. I want you to see your calling. No, I don't want you to feel it. I don't want you to wait. I want you to see it. Do you see it? <laughs> Pull out a John, uh, John Hamlin. Do you see it? There it is. <laughs> it's right there. 
Is it unclear? Is anyone unclear on what their calling is? Anyone? No one's going to raise their hand anyway. (laughs) Deliver the message. The calling is deliver the message. The calling is you are my servant now. Deliver my message. What's holding you back from being obedient to the king? As we consider our missions conference, as we consider sending people around the world, oh, I'll I'll sacrifice, I'll I'll give, I'll give, I'll give. Hey, we're going to get to that in a moment. Not about the giving, just about how are you serving? You say, oh, I... I don't, I don't go soul winning. I, I just, you know, that's, I can't do the soul winning thing. I can't knock on doors. Okay. Where are you doing it then? I, I'm probably, I mean, there's some parts of me that are probably more carnal than others. But I know it's, I don't get nearly the, the witness out that I could without the organized meeting. What I'm saying is when I'm left on my own, I don't do what I could do. I need someone to push me. Yeah, I need a pastor that comes along and says, hey, Steve, you, you, you all really ought to do that. I'm thankful for a standard where someone says, hey, you know what? Yeah, you, can, you, could, you could do this. You could serve. You could be a teacher, and you can do this, and you do this, but you need to be a soul winner because you got to be a servant first. I'm thankful for a standard like that because it pushes me to somewhere where I wouldn't be. And you know where that is? Not to a position of sacrifice, just to a, a position of obedience. Simply being obedient to his calling on my life. And, and it's just right here. It's, it's not complicated. We want to make it complicated. We want to make it difficult. And, and, and that's convenient for a season of excusing us from our responsibility. But it's not. We have a calling in our lives. Church, let's be obedient to God's calling. The world needs gospel. There are the beggars. They are, they are out in the highways and the hedges. and They are in the muck and the mire. And Yes, there are people who are going to refuse, but that doesn't end our responsibility as we've already talked. It doesn't matter what their response is. We need to continue to obey and being the messenger. Man, I'm thankful for faithful messengers in my life. Even as I just testified. If it wasn't for faithful messengers continuing to echo the call. And you know what? The funny thing is that it wasn't even the message, the the preaching that I was listening to had nothing to do with salvation. But a messenger being obedient and just proclaiming the word of God. And I heard him. I heard the calling. And there's, there's a beggar out there who needs you to be that person calling. It's simple. It's black and white. It's right there. Let's get to it. Oh, there's other people that will do that. No, even as we just talked about in the Go Rally on Saturday, God just needs laborers. You don't have to be genius. Uh, we talked about the definition of a laborer is not someone who's an artisan. You don't have to be the artist. You just need to be a laborer. I'll come. I'll do the grunt work. I'll do it, Lord, whatever you want me to be. I'll do it. I'll be it. Oh, we've got all the excuses. Let's not be that. We hear the calling. We see, we, we see it right here in front of us. God's holy, preserved, inspired word. Never wrong. Never, never tells us a, a falsehood. Never a lie. We can trust it all the time. Right? Well, I don't know. You're talking about me going soul winning now. 
Maybe not. There might be more truth to that. I need to get rid of these cards. <laughs> Falling all over the place. It's a sign. It's time to move on to the next and final point in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse number 29. It says in verse number 29 uh, that, no foolish, uh, that no flesh should glory in his presence. All right, so God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's chosen the foolishness of preaching to, to, so that others would believe. And he's chosen these foolish things so that no flesh could glory in his presence. <laughs> That's one thing I can't do. <laughs> can't even keep the papers in my bulletin, let alone my act together. And, uh, and so God's saying, hey, there's none of us that can say, hey, people are getting saved because of me. I'm something special. Nope, it's the message, not the messenger. And he's saying, hey, I don't want people to glory in themselves. I want to glory uh, in me. In verse number uh, 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We see the final calling here, and that is a calling of sacrifice. We confuse these things often, and the Lord has convicted me about this. Turn over to Psalm chapter 51. Often we talk about our sacrifice, and even as we consider missions conference, we'll consider our sacrifice of faith promise giving. What am I going to sacrifice for the missions? We consider the lost world and we say, oh, I, I, will, I, will, uh, I will sacrifice my time. I'll sacrifice my time to go soul winning. Yes, Lord, if that's what you want for me, I'll sacrifice my time for souls. We might even say, oh, I'll sacrifice my hobbies. There's things I'd rather, things I'd rather do. I'll, I'll sacrifice those. No, can I just remind you, church, tonight, that according to the word of God, those things are just your reasonable service. They are not sacrifices. And if you feel that you're sacrificing for those things, you've got it mixed up. Because in Psalm chapter 51, it talks of a sacrifice, the only sacrifice that the Lord wants to get from us. And it's found in verse number 15, Psalm 51 verse 15. It says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The reason that we get so caught up in this idea mixed up here that we're sacrificing all of these material things for the cause of Christ is because we haven't offered the true sacrifice to him. A broken heart. A broken heart. I read a book this past week and it shook me quite a bit. The book was called The Tale of Three Kings. A guy named Gene Edwards. And it's written in a really captivating way, but it talks about the brokenness of David and his relationship with Saul, and then how God continued to work in David's life, and he would require brokenness from David once again as he interacted with his son Absalom. And how David had the opportunity to become exactly what Saul was, but he had a heart after the Lord. He was broken before God. 
a lot of times we see God's calling on our lives and we feel as though <laughs> I'll sacrifice for this calling. No, all the Lord wants is not all the material things that you can fork out and say, here, the, here God, you can have all, yeah, I'll give my time, I'll give my, 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 my hobbies, I'll give all the things I enjoy, I'll sacrifice those things because I see a bigger cause. They're kind of peripheral, if you'll indulge me. They're peripheral to the fact that what God wants is a broken heart from us. A broken and a contrite spirit. Oh God, that will not despise. And far too often in, in our calling, we feel like we're sacrificing when it's really just our reasonable service. And in the end, we're not bringing glory to God. We're just bringing glory to ourselves because we feel as though we're sacrificing things. And oh God, look at what I'm doing. But the truth of the matter is that what God wanted for me was a broken heart, not to see what I would do for him. Just, God, whatever you want. I am broken. I am contrite. I will be completely, all the walls are down. Whatever you want is yours. And this is God's calling on my life and your life. That we would be broken. How many walls do we erect in our lives, hindering God from doing what he wants to do because we won't see this calling? This is no new truth, and it's something we've heard, and I've heard my whole life, and, and, you know, I just need sometimes things repeated a lot before I get them, and finally getting another principle out of the Word of God after all these years of studying it. God is, He's not looking for these sacrifices of things. Or even our time, as limited as it may be, He wants a broken heart. And a lot of times the reason our hearts will never break, or sometimes the reason our hearts will never break, is because we never answered the calling of salvation. And so we don't serve him, we serve ourselves. And because we serve ourselves, we feel good about sacrificing of materialistic things, as in that we'll bring glory to God, when in fact he says, it's disgusting. Your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I want your heart. I want your heart. I don't know what the Lord may be speaking to you about tonight, but he has a very clear calling that we can see from his word. You don't need to feel it. It doesn't need to tug at your heartstrings. You just need to step back and look at yourself and say, God, I'm being obedient to your calling. Or you need to look back at yourself and say, God, I haven't been obedient, but I want to. And you know what? You're enlisted right back into the service again. There's no hesitation. There's no pause. Back in duty. And every once in a while, we need to do that. Just re-enlist. Obey again the calling. And just see it right here. It's, just, it's right here, the calling. Have you answered the call of salvation? 100% sure you got that robe of righteousness on? I know for both my wife and I, I mean, it was later in life for both of us. We were both already in ministry when we finally answered that call. But it's on. <laughs> the robe is on, baby. No doubt about it. Oh, feels so good. Have you answered that call? Are, are, are you, have you answered the call to serve? Where does God want you? Are you doing it? 
we know if nothing else, he may want some of you in this room, and I have no doubt about it. There are some people in this room that God wants in full-time Christian service. He wants you there, and you're fighting that call. And that's something you need to work out with him. But there's certainly people in this room tonight who say, you know what? I know he's called me just to be the soul winner that I ought to be, his messenger delivering the message, and I haven't been quite the servant I should be in that area. As we consider worldwide missions, let's make sure we're just being what we should be right here. And then comes the sacrifice. It's not and then. These are not particular order. But a broken heart. The service, the, the calling of, of sacrifice. And this is the only sacrifice God wants from you. That broken and contrite heart. And I trust that he won't have to bring anything into your life in circumstances to get you there. We know that all through Scripture, he did that to many people. He broke people's hearts through circumstances. And I pray that in my life, and I pray for you as well, that in your life you won't wait for circumstances to become so horrific before you're broken before the Lord. Because it's simply a choice, a sacrifice that you can make. And I trust you'll do that just because he calls and asks for it. Would you bow your heads in prayer this evening? Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the calling that you have placed in our lives. What an honor it is as your child to have a calling placed upon us. Not just only that you would call us, Lord, we praise your name. I praise your name tonight that you called me as a beggar. But Lord, I know that there's more that you want from me, and you're calling out. And I see your calling. Lord, help me to be more obedient. Help us as a church to be more obedient to your calling in our lives. Would you stand with me this evening as the piano begins to play?